we accept the reality of the world with which we're presented. It's as simple as that. Well, there is a hidden history that's been deliberately obfuscated from the peoples of the world. They come and they take the baby at the end of the third month. They abduct the baby. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Paradigm with me, Paul. Today, I'm super excited to have a special guest with me all the way from California in the United States. Today, I've got with me the man, the myth, the legend, L.A. Marzuli. L.A. is an author, a lecturer and filmmaker. He has penned 12 books, including the Nephilim trilogy, which made the CBA bestseller list. L.A. is an expert on the subject of the Nephilim, UFOs and other paranormal phenomena. And he has been researching these areas for decades. He is a sought-after conference speaker in his books, the series on the trail of the Nephilim, a full-color, oversized volumes which reveals startling evidence of a massive cover-up of what he believes to be the remains of the Nephilim, which are the giants mentioned in the Bible. Much of his content is available on Roku, Rumble, BitChute, and YouTube. Welcome to the show, LA. Great to be here, Paul. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's, a, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, I've listened to a lot of your things online. Um, I watched the first part of the Disclosure series that you've done uh, a couple of nights ago, and it was it was fascinating. Um, but ju just sort of to begin with, could you give us um, an overview of how you began to look into, because obviously you're a Christian like I am, but how did you begin to look into UFOs and, and the aliens and the Nephilim? What was your motivation? Well, I was always interested in the occult as a kid. Um, I remember when Von Daniken's book came out. I mean, I, I had a copy of it. I had UFO contact from the Pleiades when that came out, I think in, wow, when, when, when was that anyway? A long time ago, 77, 76, 78, somewhere in that, in that. I saw a UFO when I was 12 years old with three other boys, which, um, which was amazing. Um, I've seen, I think, three in my entire life. So I've always been sort of interested in it. But when I was 40 years old is when I read Dr. I.D.E. Thomas's book, The Omega Conspiracy. And I already been a Christian for, for 10 years and was very perplexed about a whole lot of things that are in the Bible that I couldn't get answers to. And after reading Dr. Thomas's book, it changed my life. Um, I received my honorary doctorate from him. Uh, Chuck Messler's work was also uh, very instrumental in my, um, well, to where I am now. I used to listen to Chuck every single day before I was doing what I was doing now. This goes back, you know, decades ago, like over yeah. 30 years ago. And so I, I've always listened to this. I was always like really centered in, on, on the UFO phenomena and those those two guys, Dr. I.D. E. Thomas served as a mentor. That book changed my life. I got my honorary doctor from him, as I said, and then the gold medallion from Chuck Millsworth. So both of those men were very instrumental in what I'm doing now. I think um, uh, we've we've taken the ball and run, you know, a, a, a lot of first downs, if I can use a football analogy, from where I picked it up from Dr. Thomas. So it's... Um, you know, it's pretty cool. It's an honor to be linked with him in any way. Yeah, it, I mean, it's it's an area, obviously, that a lot of Christians, I, I feel like they're almost frightened by it and taken aback sometimes. Um, well, sorry, they, you, yeah, no, yeah. I, um, I, was, I was itching my nose, so I went <laughs> off. Okay. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, and sometimes you talk about these things and it's almost like a bit of shock. Um, but like I was saying to your fairer, you know, I started this because, especially in the UK, Christian-wise, I don't think that it's spoken about often enough. Um, what, I, what I wanted to talk to you about is obviously you had the UAP congressional hearings over there. And obviously, over the last couple of days, there's been some other things that have come out, like there's the... Uh, the Mexican hearing, and I've seen the pictures of the so-called aliens that they've rolled out there. 
And also just, it's just actually been on our news over here, just a brief sort of couple of minutes about the NASA hearings that they've had. Uh, it mentioned that because we, we don't particularly get a lot of footage over here. When you had the UAP hearing over there, I watched it on YouTube, but literally our news was like covered. It must have been about a minute's worth of footage of that hearing. And the newscaster was very, well, he was, his terms were very, he was mocking at the end. He sort of said, right, that's, it's, that's good night for me. I'm going to fly off in my spaceship. So it's not, over in the UK, we're not sort of up to the level of you guys, as in you seem closer to accept disclosure. What's What's been going on after the hearings? Well, not a lot. Uh, for the most part, most people are asleep. They don't realize what's going on. They're not interested in it. Most of the churches never talk about it. Um, this has been sort of my ministry or my calling, like we talked about, for decades. I mean, I've created... Uh, numerous films, which there's there's 28 films in our catalog right now, and many of them deal with the UFO phenomena. The the ones the series that we're working on now is UFO disclosure series. There are there are six offerings in that, and seven, eight, and nine are in all in post production. So we are um, we're the only Christian film company to have this type of a a catalog. In fact, tomorrow I'll be on, I'll be doing an interview with Charisma Magazine. Um, you know, like this, it's, it's yeah. an audio, you know, Zoom chat uh, talking about the Mexican uh, UAP conference. I believe that they are hoaxes. I believe I don't believe that they're real at all. Um, I, my YouTube channel, LA Marzulli, I did a special report on this yesterday, and uh, it's in my opinion what this. The problem with this is why it's problematic is it throws up a smokescreen. It creates a, it muckies the water. It's an obfuscation. So when someone like the whistleblower Grush comes on, uh, on the, on the congressional hearings with Macy a couple of weeks back, and she asked him, did you retrieve any bodies from the crashed UFOs? He said, yes, we have biologics. Yeah. Uh, and then she asked him, were they non-human? Yes, they were non-human. And no one bats an eyelash. <laughs> Are you mm. kidding me? It's not talked yeah. about in the churches. This the clown in the UK that you just referenced. You know, yeah. I have to fly off in my spaceship. You, mm. you, sir, have a mixture of ignorance and arrogance, and that is a yeah. deadly combination. You think you know about the phenomena? You're poo-pooing it. You know that's that's uh, that's arrogance because you know nothing about the phenomenon, you haven't studied it, and you don't realize, with all due respect to your position as a talking head, you have no idea where this is going and how it links back into the biblical prophetic narrative. It links back into this book, there's no doubt about it. But you yeah. probably don't know much about that either, with all due respect. So when, when I hear stuff like this, it gets my hackles up. When mm. someone at this, this late in the game starts you know, making fun of it, the, the man is a fool and if he's welcome to come on my show and debate it and tell me why i'm a fool for thinking that this is real because it's no longer what i say it's no longer my decades and decades of research talking to abductees talking to people who have had close encounters of the first second third and fourth kind it's no longer what i say the united states government the most powerful country in the world unless you want to factor china in but they're not um we're at we're the most powerful country in the world. Our government is stating on the record that this phenomenon is real. Mm. And of course, it's stuff like this. I mean, I've known this stuff for decades. We retrieve bodies. They make a big deal out of it. They did. They retrieved the bodies in the Roswell crash back in yeah. 47. Yeah. So what else is new? So mm. uh, I'm amazed at the ambivalence of most people, at the sheer ignorance of most people. When this thing hits, Paul, when we really get full-blown disclosure, people like your guy in the UK who's poo-pooing this, mm. he's probably one of the first guys that are going to totally freak out because he's not prepared for it. And it will rock his worldview, rock his paradigm in ways that are just mind-boggling. Um, where I'm, I do like this movie review every week, and I'm probably going to start doing maybe two because there's so many films on this, and I'm yeah. watching it so I can give a review. This week, 
I'm going to do Arrival, even though it's an older film. Um, it, it shows exactly what's going to happen. It's almost like you're being programmed to react a certain mm. way. And, mm. you know, in Arrival, everybody's all freaked out and the things are closed down and the military's there. What's going on? Oh, my gosh, it's the end of the world. But what people don't understand is this is exactly um, what we're looking at. Because when they show up, if it's something like Arrival, um, mm. people, people are going to wig out. I mean, there's no doubt about it. That's what will happen. Yeah, I'm absolutely totally on board with everything you said there about the arrogance and the ignorance. And and I find it so much with people, like you said, they've not even done any research. I mean, I've been doing research, but you've been doing it for decades, like you said. And these people, it is sheer arrogance. And it's it's quite insulting when, you know, I mean, it was the ITV news. It was the actual main newsreader who's usually on at the news at 10 we have over here. And he was the one who was like, you know, he's going to fly off in his spaceship, but he knows nothing about it. Right. And like you said, I mean, for these people, anyone who's not walking with the Lord, it's going to be like a turkey shoot this because they're not going to be ready. Um, one thing I wanted to ask, ask you about um the Peruvian face peelers. I believe your friend, uh, is it Tim Alberino's? Did he go down yes. there? What I've heard a couple of things about these face peelers. Um, you know, that they were, they wore silver suits. They could, they were seen to float, but what information have you gathered from the, the, the sort of incident down there? Cause I know that, I mean, I've been reading things that these villages were absolutely terrified. Well, it, it's we live in a in a world where everything can be questioned um, because of the advent of AI. You don't know what you're looking at is real anymore. Nobody does, and unless you've got boots on the ground, people who are there, eyewitnesses that you can talk to, um, it's hard to go with anything because you have Photoshop, you have AI, you have deliberate obfuscation from both sides going on. So what's the truth? And the truth has become very, very blurry, extremely blurry to where, you know, we don't even know what we're looking at half the time anymore. Um, I wasn't down there. I followed the story for a bit and they came up with guys in, in uh, backpacks to try to freak out, you know, jet packs that strap on your back to try to freak out the villagers. I mean, that's the biggest cock and bull story I've ever heard in my life. Other than that, what you saw was swamp gas reflecting off a weather balloon being pulled by a flock of geese who were also reflecting the planet Venus. What's wrong with it? I mean, you know, Philip Philip Klaus was a, a professional debunker. And no matter what you saw, he had an explanation for it. Well, that's hmm. changed. But down in Peru, you know, they're kind of doing something different with this. It's, unless you're there, it's hard to vet anything at this point because yeah. there's so much nonsense out there. It's just ridiculous. Hmm. So in your opinion, then, after all your years of research, what do you think these UFOs actually are? They're nuts and bolts craft. There's no doubt about that. The craft have a physicality to them. They're not demonic delusion. There are some researchers that believe, well, this is demonic delusion. No, they're not. Mm. It's real. The breeding program is real. The cattle mutilations are real. Um, the abduction phenomenon is real. The crafts moving at right angles is real. They bend space-time, matter, and energy. And the problem with that, that sort of a worldview is it's a very truncated view of the supernatural. Um, mm. when, you, when, you when you look at the supernatural world that surrounds us, there's technology in that world. There's no doubt about it. I'll just give you one example. It's from a, a um, upcoming, forthcoming book that I am working on. Probably won't get finished with it until sometime next year. It's called Supernatural Technology in the Bible. I'll just give you one example. So when Adam and Eve are booted out of the Garden of Eden, there's two cherubim that are over the east gate. Well, what about the north, the south, and the west gates? We're not told. We're not told why. Those gates don't have to be guarded. We're not told. Only the east gate needs to be guarded. It's guarded by two cherubim. And in the middle, okay, is a flaming sword that goes every which way. 
Is that a, is that a lightsaber, a cosmic lightsaber? What is the flaming sword thousands yeah. of years ago? How would you describe that? Mm. You describe it as a flaming. It's like a sword, but it's flaming. It's on fire. Is it a lightsaber? I don't know. I wasn't there. But that's technology. That's technology mm. that's being used to make sure that Adam and Eve, and somehow it's programmed. If you get too near this thing, it's, you know, it's coming right at you. You know, how does that work? So is it sensors? We don't know. But that, in my opinion, is supernatural technology. And this is the problem. Christians, many Christians have this very truncated view of the supernatural. They don't believe that there's technology. They think everything is supernatural. It's supernatural technology, but it, yeah. it's technology. Then you've got, you know, and the angelic hosts, um, like the cherubim, what the heck are they? You've got angels, messengers. You've got watchers, which can come in, pass through walls and just appear like they do. So it, it's it's not, it's it's. I don't have all the answers and it's very complex. It's very complex. Yeah, it's, I mean, I've been looking into it on and off for years. I mentioned it off air. I mean, initially, when I first looked into it, I was a non-Christian. And I think I've become even more perplexed now as a Christian as to what to make of it. Because like you said, most Christians, they just explain it away. The demons, the, you know, it's supernatural. And, you know, these craft aren't real, but... There's been so many, hasn't there, over the years? You know of many people. You've said you've seen UFOs yourself. I've read of multiple cases. I mean, just in the UK, I was just going over some of my old notes previously from uh, one I was looking into, and it's from 1980, an actual policeman from an area in the north of England called Todmorden, where he's seen um, a craft, a triangular-shaped craft. And this was a uh, well-thought uh, after policeman he had a good service record. He was called PC Allen Godfrey. And he claims to have been abducted. He gives description of little creatures and then a taller one, a humanoid figure, a taller one. Um, and that ruined his career and everything. I mean, he was followed around by what he called, well, he, he suspected it was an agent from MI5. So there's, I mean, there's not just, you know, it's, it, it's every walk of life, isn't it? You know, there's doctors, or, you know, every person from every type of, you know, job and continent on earth have seen UFOs. And I think what you were saying before about the arrogance and things like, we can't just write this phenomena off. But, I mean, it is perplexing. And you said that you believe that they're a, they're a physical craft. What about the pilots? What Who do you think they are who are piloting these craft? Well, that's very interesting. Um, there's a hierarchy... Um, of these entities. We're we're about to publish a book by Karen Wilkinson. She's in our fourth film in our UFO disclosure series. Um, and Karen just did a great job, but she's she was an abductee. She was taken when she was six years old and, and taken all through her life until she finally accepted Jesus. And that was it. Stopped the abductions. Um, she's actually flown the ship. When you're abducted like that, you're being groomed. You are being groomed. She was groomed. And so she had a, a ET handler that eventually raped her, but also showed her how to run the ship. And she flew the ship telepathically. That's not the only person who's done it. On the other side of the aisle, there's a book by Preston Dennett. And the woman, the centerpiece of that book is called Dolly. And Dolly's experience mirrors Karen's experience almost exactly, except Dolly never came of the Lord. So she's still immersed, um, being taken, believing that these are our space brothers and all this other nonsense. Where Karen, the book that we're publishing, it's called Stolen Seed. She was impregnated by them three different times and had children by them. So it's a very unnerving book. We will be publishing that. Shortly, it's, it's it's at the printers right now. We'll probably have copies early October. Uh, you'll want to get her on your on your show because uh, this is right from the horse's mouth. So the Greys, the shorter Greys, as far as I know, do not pilot the ship. It's the taller Greys and and the the Mantis types um, and the tall whites 
that's that's who's working this thing but not all the time So the Greys are obviously your typical little guys with the bulbous heads and black eyes that traditionally people understand are aliens. I mean, I've heard them described as almost like a meat suit. Like, I mean, do you what do you think about that? Um, I might have been one of the first people to put that out. I call them avatars. Other people call them meat suits. I've been stating that for years, that the Greys are avatars they are uh, con biologic constructed suits they are biologics okay let's let's back up when noah's flood happens the nephilim are on the earth the flood happens to destroy the nephilim the nephilim are destroyed in the flood fallen angels are not nephilim there's a whole difference nephilim are the progeny of the watchers this class of, uh, of heavenly entities and human women, creating a hybrid known as the Nephilim. The Nephilim are our spirit and body, but not soul. So when they die, those spirits are earthbound. They're earthbound spirits, and they, they're the demons that wander the earth looking for something or someone to inhabit. That's what they are. So the dragon knows that he's got all these demons running around, but essentially they're useless. So he creates a meat suit, an avatar, and they can interface with this, with this biological construct. And from that, they can manifest in our dimension. That's conjecture, but it's based on a lot of research. Mm. What would you... Is all this happening off-world? So we've got these physical craft, and they're being flown by these pilots. Where are they? Where are they coming from? And where where are they? They're being built or whatever, in your opinion. In the second heaven, that's where the construct is. So according to the biblical narrative, there are three heavens. The first heaven is Earth and the atmosphere above the Earth. The second heaven is beyond that. That's the, that's the dwelling place of the greys, the dragon, the, the, you know, the fallen angels. How do we know that? Because Michael and his angels fight with the dragon and his angels. Where are they fighting? In the second mm -hmm. heaven. And there's what I call the great eviction notice. Woe to the inhabitants of earth, because Satan, the dragon, your adversary, has is now here. He's been kicked out of a second heaven, and he knows this time is short, which is a three-hour conversation. How does he know this time is short? just a, a phrase that's very pregnant with meaning. The third heaven is where the Most High God dwells. The second heaven is where I believe the ships are constructed, and then they're interdimensional. They come in and out of our dimension. They hide in the depths of the ocean on this planet. That's where they hide, in my opinion. Yeah, I think I um, listened to something by Tucker Carlson where he was it mentioned something like called them a USO and they came out of the sea and they've been traced, I think, on radar at ridiculous speeds going through the through the water. So that is something I've heard. So when you talk about the second heaven and the constructed there, I mean obviously we we only know what's revealed to us. I mean, are they built is there like What's in the second heaven, in your opinion? What's there, like, the, if they're constructing these craft? Well, I mean, that that's a really good question, and I don't have an answer to that because mm. I've never been there, and I yeah. can only I can only go by what hearsay and what witnesses and abductees, people like that, have said. But even the abductees are are not privy to the second heaven, from what I understand. Now, when you take ayahuasca. 
or like like Graham Hancock does, that's where you wind up. You wind up in the second heaven. That's the whole point of not taking ayahuasca because it, it's a springboard and you will go there. And that springboard is a um, an, an, a sort of a, a, a one-way ticket into the supernatural world of a second heaven. In Graham Hancock's book, Supernatural, he talks about it. He's taking ayahuasca and he pops up and there are the greys and he's going like, what are they doing here? He can't get his head around. Why are the greys in this in this area? Well, he's in the second heaven. He just doesn't look at it from a biblical viewpoint, so he's still scratching his head. And then at the very end of his book, he states something which is just incredible. And it, it, it ties right back in Genesis 3.15. It ties back into the book of Daniel, chapter 2, verse 43. Their seed will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not cleave to them. Genesis 3.15 is the seed of a dragon, the offspring of a dragon will be at war at enmity with the offspring of the woman. The offspring of the woman will crush the dragon's head. Well, Graham Hancock pops up into the second heaven, in my opinion. The greys are there, and he goes, what are the greys doing here, and why are they obsessed with creating some sort of a hybrid with us? Daniel hmm. chapter 2, verse 43. Their seed will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not cleave to them. There it is. And this is why this book, the biblical narrative, differs from any other book on the planet, because it tells us exactly what's going to happen. All you got to do is read it. Most people mm -hmm. poo poo it. Most people won't read it. Most people have never read it, but oh, the Bible, they have no idea what's in there. None. No. And, and the angel, the messenger who was telling Daniel all this, gives him instructions. And he goes, Daniel, seal up the words in this book until the time of the end. And then he gives us a supernatural clue that only the biblical narrative, there's no other book like it on the planet. Nothing, nothing even comes close to this integrated message system, as the late Chuck Messler used to call it, that we find in the pages of the Bible, 66 books, you know, 40 authors, 6640, there it is. And what we get is a supernatural clue that Daniel, men and run, men and women will run to and fro over the face of the earth and knowledge will increase. Well, if you trace the history of the world from 2,500 years ago, when that messenger is telling Daniel to seal up the words of his book until the time of the end, it's flatlined to Gutenberg's printing press, essentially. And then mm -hmm. that's a huge advance for mankind. Now you don't got a bunch of smelly guys in the scriptorium, you know, writing on vellum. That's all gone because now we can print the thing. Now the common man, and that's where we are, right? And, and we've, we're, we're so far beyond that. So when we move into the Industrial Revolution in the in the mid nineteenth century, that's where we get this this rise of of uh, industry, of commerce, of the arts. I mean, everything just goes through the roof until modernity, and and where we are now. And now knowledge increases exponential. As we are speaking, Paul, men and women run to and fro over the face of the earth. Knowledge mm. is increasing exponentially. Just look at AI, if you don't believe me. Oh, yeah. So we are in the window of time where that book becomes unsealed, becomes unsealed. And for the first time in history, you got people like me and others going, Daniel 2, verse 43, their seed will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not cleave to them. That's an astounding statement. Well, who are they? Yeah. It's not human beings. So who's left? It's not a kangaroo. The kangaroos aren't mingling their seeds. Sorry. Down under, it's not happening. So these are the fallen ones. And Jesus warns us it'll be like the days of Noah when he returns. So, you know, you put this integrated message system together, Genesis 3.15, Jesus, Matthew 24, Luke, Luke uh, what is it, Luke 21, right? And then you go back to Daniel 2.43, integrated message system all those scriptures thousands of years apart bam they integrate mm. they mingle and they tell you exactly what's going to happen for the for the student of the biblical narrative that spends time studying and and pulling and putting all this together and you know i'm nobody special like you i don't i don't have a degree i am an ordained pastor but i don't mm. have a degree in theology Hallelujah. I'm glad I don't, because I I had to sort all this out myself. 
you know, there's, there's a commercial over here in the States that talks about, you know, the, the, the paper ceiling and the, and the, and the, and the idea that, you know, a degree is great. I get that. A, a degree is a wonderful thing because you're taught. But for those of us who teach themselves and have mentors along the way, now I'm not above somebody who's got a PhD, but I've got two honorary doctorates. So my constituents, people that have that have looked at my work, there are 13 books, not 12, by the way, but I digress. There are 13 books and 28 films. That's a corpus of work that you just can't easily dismiss. And unlike many archaeologists who sit in the museum for the most part uh, as curators or whatever, or don't get funding, I get funding or I fund it myself. I've traveled all over the world and I've been accused of being a pseudo archaeologist, which I'm very proud to be. The bottom line is just because I don't have a piece of paper, you know, when I went down to Peru, is a perfect example. I didn't know what a sagittal suture was. Well, I, I became immersed in learning what a sagittal suture, the occipital plate, the mandible, the zygomatic arches. I learned all these terms. They're medical terms that you learn in medical school because I had to learn them because I was examining right behind me guys like this, guys like that. And I learned a sagittal suture is the one that goes from the frontal plate back to the occipital plate. Well, guess what? The Paraka skulls don't have any of that. In fact, since we're talking about the old Paraka skulls, let's get one up here. So, so here is a, a replica of the Paraka skull. And you can see this is the frontal plate. These are mm -hmm. sutures right here. It should have this type of a suture that runs from the frontal plate clear back to the occipital plate. It should be like this, which would then split the parietal plates into two pieces. Well, guess what? It doesn't. There's the sagittal suture where it should be, not even a vestige of it. So, you know, what we're looking at here um, from someone like myself, as I've, as I've researched and 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 gotten into this stuff i've had to learn along the way i've had to mm. read books i've had to be mentored had to be counseled i mean and that's that's what real learning is in other words constantly learning things constantly you know pushing the envelope looking researching studying so you can call me a pseudo archaeologist all you want but you know my rebuttal to that is well, did you guys go down the Paracas and get DNA samples? Did you test them? Oh, the answer is no. Well, gee, why is that? Why is it that when we test the samples, we come up with um, DNA, which comes from the Middle East, which rewrites history, because that's not supposed to be down there in Peru. It all should be B. You know, B is is the whole Bering Land Strait. Not that B stands for, but Eurasia, all coming mm. down at the, at the Bering uh, the bearing land bridge that was there at the end of the ice age and all this other stuff. We're saying, yeah, some people came down that way. We get it. But other people came across the ocean, but you can't say that because there's a paradigm, which is in concrete an intellectual paradigm. It's in concrete. Mm. You go against that, that intellectual, you go against that paradigm and you might as well say goodbye to your career. But someone like me, who's not making their living, as a curator in a museum, I am getting out of the library, out of the museum. I'm in the field, and our and we just released this film. It's called Out of Place Artifacts. Uh, we're doing pre-sales. Ellymarzuli.net. By the way, you're in the UK, so well, how can I get your stuff? Just go to our streaming site. You can download all the films. There's 28 films there, folks. It's streaming.lamarzuli.net, streaming.lamarzuli.net. So you don't even have to buy the DVD. You can just stream it. You have to pay for it, but you can stream it. You can, and, and, and you can. You don't have to worry about customs and this and, you know, taking five months to go across the Atlantic. So one of the things that we that we do in, in, in this Out of Place Artifacts is we interview Jim Vieira. And we there's a variety of of stonework from the Vatican obelisk, which is in Vatican Square, to the, the stonework at Saxe-Bemont. And what we show is that both of these are out-of-place artifacts. They shouldn't be there yet. They're there. Because hmm. the Vatican obelisk, I'll just, I, I won't go long here, but the Vatican obelisk is made of red granite. It's an obelisk. So it's wider at the bottom and narrow at the top, which means that for every centimeter you're going up, you're changing the dimensions on all four sides with great precision. 
It weighs 300 tons. It's 82 feet high. And in, 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 the, in the film, we show the, the copper, the bronze chisel, and that was used 3,000 years ago. And we go, well, how, how did they do this? And here's the copper chisel on the block of andesite stone, which is actually softer than red granted. Boom, 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 boom. And he holds the chisel up to the, it's completely blunted, completely flat. And the andesite stone doesn't have a scratch on it. So if you can't cut red granite in the Neolithic or even in the Iron Age, if you can't cut it, if you can't shape it, then what are we looking at here? Yeah. So stop lying to me and stop lying to the people of the world that let's say the Inca were master stone builders. That obelisk in Vatican Square, it came from Heliopolis. Caesar Augustus brought it over roughly 30, 35 BC. Caligula had it moved from where Caesar had it into almost its current resting place near the Vatican, but that's where the circus was, Caligula's circus. So Pope Sixtus V decides to move the obelisk in like 15 in the, in the 16th century. It takes 140 horses and 900 men, depending on which which account you want to believe. But it's it's like it's months to move it a couple hundred yards. Mm. You're looking at huge wooden scaffolding and and horses and this whole production to move this thing 300 yards. It's just like it's unbelievable. And then the Pope performs a rite of exorcism on it. Why does he do that? That And no one knows where it came from. There's not a hieroglyphic on it at all. So where does this thing come from? And if it's back in the Neolithic and all they've got is bronze chisels and copper chisels, good luck. You know, in Iron Age, now it's different because you've got, you've got iron tools and you're still looking at an enormous amount of of time and energy uh, to do something like this. And as Jim Vieira says, if I'm cutting or working with granite, I break out the diamond saws. Uh, there is a hidden history that's been deliberately obfuscated for the peoples of the world. I did um, an episode on Stonehenge, and obviously we were told that they rolled these things in on logs, and I and I looked into it, and it, they actually tried it, I think, back in 2000. So the blue stones on the inner circle, which are from South Wales, in Priscilla Hills, I looked at the routes they could have took, and I think the shortest one was about 185 miles, but that would have involved going off land and it, over the ocean. Well, they tried it, a group called Mentor Priscilla tried this. It took them a full day. Th these are under the blue stones as well. I think they used one that was only three tons. And I, and I said on my episode that obviously you've got the Sarsen stones and some of them are around 40 tons. It took them a full day to move it a mile. And when they eventually got it to the coast and got it on the raft that they tell us was used it sunk and that was it the, that, <laughs> that, that was the too. the same yeah. thing happened in egypt exactly yeah. the same thing you know and with all due respect to egyptologists and zawi hawass on top of the king's chamber there's a there's a bunch of huge stones of the size of railroad cars it's all granite from aswan and there's there's single blocks and it's 500 miles away so zawi i love you I want to go on tour with you because you know a lot of stuff. But quit lying to us because the Egyptians cannot move the type of tonnage granite from Aswan 500 miles away. And the circular argument is, well, it's there to show. So they must have been able to do it. Well, that's a straw man argument. That's a straw man argument. You have no idea. If you can't do it with the tools that they had, you know, thousands of years ago, then you can't do it. So you're looking at something else. When you go to the Assyrian, I've never been there. I've seen pictures of it. Absolutely mind-boggling. And, and the stone cuts that are there are almost exactly like Saksewaman, Oyatintabo, and I've been to both of those places. 
And those, the stonework there is just mind boggling. And if the Inca have copper chisels, they can't cut it. And if the Andesite stone is 40 miles away in the quarry, and these are polygonal shapes, which are done perfectly without mortar, it's astral construction, it's been there thousands of years, how does this work? And they have no answer. They just, they just parrot. See, this is what I have a problem with in academia. You're just going to parrot what your professor tells you. So you can get your goofy degree and walk off and teach and then teach the next generation, the parrot, what you learned from this guy. How many of these guys think for themselves? When I was down in Cahokia, with the largest mountain in the United States, it's, it's well over, I don't know, you could deconstruct that thing. It's, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's dump trucks with filled with dirt, probably 250, 300 miles of dump trucks. And, and how do they compact the dirt? I mean, nobody knows these things. Mm. So I'm talking to an archaeologist who's there, and he's got his little, you know, doing his whole archaeological thing. And I go, my first question, has anyone done any compaction studies on the Cahokia Mound? No. And I go, that's the smoking gun. Why haven't they done compaction studies? You know, if I had access to the Cahokia Mound, the first thing I would do is get a team in, let's go down, let's drill this baby, let's find out the compaction. And if you can't do it, you know, whenever they say it was done, then you can't do it. So now we're looking at a huge mystery because if the compaction doesn't work out and there's no way to compact that soil so it doesn't erode, how is it done? But, you know, this it's the straw man argument. Well, it's there, so they must have done it. Human beings are resourceful. That's a straw man argument. Just be honest and tell us that you don't know how it was done. And, it's you know, obviously it was done. So someone did it. But why does it all just disappear? Why don't we see the stonework like we see at Sacsayhuaman and Oyotantambo? Why don't we see that repeated elsewhere? It just all disappears. Why don't we see uh, the blue stones? You know, if it's so easy to do, then why is this the only monument that's there using mm. using the blue stones? Why why is that? You know, what are we looking at here? And and the English guy Tom T H O M wrote this book about the 18 and a half year lunar cycle, trying to figure out because Stonehenge is built on the Metonic cycle, the 18 and a half year lunar cycle. How do you know that? How does how does an ancient man you know, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand years ago, know anything about the 18 and a half metonic cycle. This is the straw man argument because we, in, in the United States, we've got a site called America Stonehenge. And when you, when you stand, uh, let me, let me get you a, um, let me see if I have it here. Hold on. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to try to get this without upsetting the apple cart too much. Okay, hold on. I'm going to go to my index because I'll never find it unless I go to my index. Thank you. Uh, America Stonehenge 101. See how easy that was? Always go to the index. It saves lots and lots of time. So America Stonehenge is a 4,000-year-old site. It's in Salem, New Hampshire. I was actually there last week on uh, my youtube channel we've been doing a whole whole deal on it so the the first one is this you've got a standing stone that weighs about three tons and when you stand in the center it's an observatory there are standing stones all the way around that observatory so when you stand in the center of that circle and you look out to the summer solstice sunrise or summer solstice standing stone the sunset the sun goes right down over that baby. So Kelsey Stone is a 23-year-old college student. So he figures, I'm just going to draw a line from, you can see it right there, from the center of my, my site out to the summer solstice standing stone. Well, that's pretty cool. So he extends the line a little further. Now he's out over, you know, Newfoundland and all those, one, Nova Scotia and all those cool places. And then he continues the line. Through, through the over the Atlantic, through Ireland, and he finds himself in southern England. Hmm. And he says hmm. to himself, gee, I wonder how close to Stonehenge, England we are. That line bisects the, the two trilithons at Stonehenge, England. Wow. 
Wow. That is the greatest archaeological discovery of the 21st century, That's in my opinion. Yeah. Because you can't do that. You are looking at spherical trigonometry. No native, if you don't believe that the Phoenicians did this, this is fallen angel technology, Nephilim architecture. If you believe this is Amerindian, then show me, show me how any Amerindian knows about spherical trigonometry. Because in order to, and, and you can only do it from the air. You can, and why is it that the solstice, right, goes right to Stonehenge, England? Well, once they found that, they started looking at all the other standing stones Chaco Canyon, Teotihuacan, Mexico, Machu Picchu. This is all in our film, number four and number five in the Amatrail of the Amatrail of the Nephilim series. I mean, we, we, this is why we're on a trail. This is astounding information that rewrites the history books. It rewrites the history books. End of story. And and, and the reason why it does this is because you're looking at this, you're looking at the fingerprints of a supernatural. So this guy Tom T H O M on your side of the palm is looking at um, the knowledge of the 18 and a half year metonic cycle, which is embedded in Stonehenge. He's going well. There's only one way they could do it. They get up, they have a center point, just like America Stonehenge. The moon comes up, they put a stake in, uh, the moon sets, they put another stake in, we've got two stakes. Next night they come out again, gee, the moon's moved over here, boom. That's when it comes up, there's another stake, another stake over here. They did this for like 30 days. They got 60 stakes in, in the, in the, on the field. They've got their little mm. center place, they keep looking. Guess what? At the end of 30 days, a five-day rainstorm comes in and you can't see the moon. So now what do you do? And the fact is you don't know. You don't know where it is in the 18 and a half year cycle we're starting from. In other words, if you and I went right out right now, no computers, and we're trying to figure, and we, have, we, we can't have any you know, knowledge of where we are in the procession, how would you know? How would you crunch the data? And yet we're told over here, that Amerindians, Native Americans, First Nation people knew about the 18 and a half year lunar cycle. It's not in any mm. tribe's oral tradition. There's nothing written about it, nothing petroglyph about it. They didn't know. So if they didn't know, then how is it here? And this mm. is this is the great ruse that is promulgated to the peoples of the world. When they we just came back from filming at the Octagon now. In in uh, in Newark, Ohio, the Octagon Mound is the Octagon encompasses fifty acres, okay, fifty acres. Then it's got a gateway, and then there's a circle mound like this. All right. In 2025, the moon, the lunar standstill, the end of the 18 and a half year lunar cycle, will come down like this and sit right in that gateway, right in that gateway. It sits there, and then it goes back up. Are you kidding me? Wow. Are you flipping kidding me? And the great lie is that if Native Americans didn't know this, then they didn't know it. And the octagon mound is an irregular octagon. So it's not eight equal sides. Two of the sides are irregular, and there are gateways between the sides. So here's one Here's on one side. It should touch like this. It doesn't. There's a gateway, because the gateways correspond with, guess what? The moon, once mm -hmm. again. It is ap it's, it's unbelievable. Archaeoastronomy. It is mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. Yeah. I've just um, actually discovered the other day that I live 10 minutes and I've been today from the second biggest mound in Britain. It's the biggest in Wales and it's the second biggest in Britain. Silbury Hill's the more famous one in England. Oh, I've been there. I've been to Silbury Hill. Yeah. Well, this one's the second biggest. It's called Gop Hill Cairn. And it's all, I literally drive past it every Sunday to go to church. And I didn't even know. I kept looking when I used to go past and think, what is that? And I was doing some research and I found out it was the second biggest mound. And I've been today and there's actually a cave system underneath as well. I went, I went 
a way into one of the caves, but I'd, I'd properly need some caving equipment to go any further. But I've took photos and things like that, but the actual pathway up to it's called Pilgrim's Way. But it's it, it, it's fascinating. There's, there's a lot of sites, actually, in North Wales, which I'm going to go and visit. There's quite a lot of dolmens and other stone circles, smaller ones, um, right. and I'm going to document all that. But like you said before about doing doing research, I mean, I, I did a degree at university years ago in politics. That was And like you say, you're just regurgitating things you're taught. Um, and there is a forgotten history. And Stonehenge, I mean, my conclusion when I looked at it was that it was built by giants yeah. and possibly used either acoustic levitation was used or sound resonance to move around, especially the larger stones. Um, I mean, the initial name, I think, of Stonehenge was the Giant's Dance. And yeah. it's it's rumoured that it was actually brought from, I think it's Mount... Kolaris. The, the, the myth is that Merlin brought it over, but initially it was brought from Africa to Ireland by giants, and then Merlin brought it, they don't know how, to England. But, I mean, the earliest depictions of um, artwork of Stonehenge being built is giants building it with Merlin there as well. But like you said, we're being taught, um, well, it's a lie, isn't it? It's all fake what we're being taught now. And we're we're having to get to the bottom of it, but you just just to quickly um, go back to the alien thing. You talked about the abduction program, and you've spoke to many abductees. What's the most I'd, I'd have to say disturbing abduction account that you've that you've been told about that someone you've interviewed? Well, it's in the film. Uh, it's number four for the folks who are watching. Once again, streaming net. You want to see number four in the UFO series. It's on the abduction phenomena. It's it's Karen because they come and they take the baby at the end of the third month. They abduct the baby. And then it's this is where it goes into our cattle mutilation film, which is number five. No, number six in the series is cattle mutilations. And what we believe uh, uh, is that the cattle mutilation, bovine blood, Bovine blood can be used, cow blood can be used in human transfusions. Hmm. When a cow is abducted, all the blood is completely drained from it. When they find the cow, all the blood yeah. is not, it's all its all gone. And then certain parts are, are cored out. They, and this is conjecture, but this is what I believe is going on. These entities are using the material to create artificial wounds. So when they take when they take the child from the woman, it can't survive. So it's placed in an artificial womb. It's a hybrid. So it's placed in an artificial womb where it can come into maturity. Well, would you say these hybrids are like Satan's army that is building these hybrids? Absolutely. Satan's outnumbered two to one. He's building an army. That's Chuck Messler's quote from our film and watchers. Well, that's mind blowing. It is. Um, you, I believe that you had. Um, is it a guy called Emil who you paid to yes. have a? Was it like a tracker that was in his body or something? Well, it's not a tracker, but it, it's it's an implant. Implant, um, yeah. He was taken at five, numerous times, just like Karen. Uh, sperm was taken from him when he reached puberty. Uh, they're they're creating you know they're they're messing with the genetics, but they also implanted him. We're the only team of Christians that have ever taken out that implant. Hmm. We're it. We're the only team. Uh, the late Dr. Roger Lear. He was in all eleven of our Watcher series. People have ripped us off like you can't believe, um, including uh, I won't mention the guy's name, but there's a film on Netflix where. He used art. You can hear my voice in the background. He was supposed was to patient be, seventeen, exactly, patient yeah. seventeen, and mm -hmm. he's supposed to give us credit, and he never did. And now he, now they, they've taken the Kumbergas UFO footage, which we broke the story. It's in our, it's in our watchers. I mean, I can't just like Robert Salas, the guy from the Mal Maelstrom. Air Force Base, Intercontinental, 
the Maelstrom missile base up in Montana. We broke the story and our watch was filmed. We broke the story. Salas came on our show and talked about it first. We broke the Kumbergas UFO story. We broke the Kandahar giant story and on and on it goes. And now everybody just steals it and we never mm. get credit for it. I'm so, glad you mentioned the Kandahar giant because that is definitely one I wanted to ask you about. In your opinion then, because you obviously the story was broke to you. I've I've read about it. Um, my my thoughts on it are, I mean, like I said to you off air, I've served in Afghanistan, and you don't normally think you're going to come home and tell people you've seen a giant. It's it's not a war story that I can tell you anyone in my platoon thought about. Did you believe it when you first heard the story? Because I believe it was was it the uh, uh, the whistleblower came to you, didn't he? And yeah. was it put on YouTube and then taken down? No. It was it was never put on YouTube. We never no. put it okay. on. It was stolen from us right. and put on YouTube. The guy got like 300,000 or 600,000 hits, whatever it was. And once I found out about it, I did one today. A copyright claim on YouTube. The entire show was lifted on this guy's YouTube channel. And he already had like 160,000 hits or whatever. It's unbelievable. Oh. You know, it's just, I mean, they're just thieves. They take your yeah. intellectual property, they never give us credit, and they monetize it and they make money off of it. It's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. Yeah. yeah. I interviewed the shooter, that's what we called him, three times before he before we flew him out to put him on camera. Three times before I did that. And then we found a second witness. Since then, um, I have another, well, I've had several witnesses since then. But one was very, very interesting. And I won't give any any more detail than that. But he knew the inside deal. And mm. he corroborated our film. I can't go public with it. I mean, I'm no, not no. going to, can't no, do no. it. But he corroborated what, what was in the film. We broke the story. Mm. We broke the story. I believe your friend uh, Tim Alberino did he interview one of the pilots? Was it the? No, that's Stephen Quayle. Not oh, right. Okay. And, and what we didn't, what we, you know, Quayle thought that we were stealing his stuff. Well, right. Steve, we weren't, and you know that because we got his guy and our guy together, and then they realized right. two different locations, different years. So now we have two. Right. Wow. I mean, that was like the Giants is such a fascinating topic. Well, the aliens as well, but the Giants is such a fascinating topic. It's one that it I all, keep touching on. Well, it all integrates. The Giants, yeah. the aliens, it's all like this. It's all mm. it's all spawned from Hell's Kitchen, all of it. And that's what people don't get. And, you know, it's not going away. And unfortunately, the church needs to wake up and read Genesis 3.15. And we're a little over an hour, so I've got to get going yeah. here. Yeah, I'm going to wrap it up now. Well, th okay. thanks very much for all that, LA. Just just before we go, just let people know where they can get hold of you. It's lamarzuli.net, lamarzuli.net. But across the pond, you can get streaming. So you can watch all the films we've been talking about. The DNA film, America Stonehenge, Kandahar Giant, it's all there. We don't have time to get into all this. There's 29 films. It's like hours of material, 13 books. Some of the books are on Kindle, but you can go to streaming.lamarzuli.net, streaming.lamarzuli.net, and avail yourself of information, binge watch, have a ball doing it, invite all your friends, pop the popcorn, and learn about the hidden history that's been deliberately obfuscated from you. Thanks very much, Ale. So, guys, Thanks. yeah, you've heard Ale there. Go out stream the DVDs, buy them, whatever, read his books. Thanks to all my regular listeners. Uh, I'll be back next week, hopefully, with a new guest. But it's been wonderful having you on, LA. Thank you very much. Thanks, and uh, bye for now, guys. And I've been Paul, and this is Beyond the Paradigm. Am I crazy? We don't use that word in here. <laughs>